Sports Right Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. American politics feel about as divided as ever in the Trump era. But is that really true? Are we as a nation as partisan and alienated as social media and even traditional media would lead us to believe? Those are some of the questions that national radio and TV host Michael Smirkanish explores in his talk, American Life in Columns, which comes to the Crowfoot Ballroom in Pontiac this Sunday at 2 p.m. We have four pair of tickets for that event to give away. And if you call right now, we will help you snag a pair of those tickets. We have just one pair available per caller. The number, as always, is 313-577-1019. Smirkanish recently spoke with uh, Detroit Today producer Jake Neer. Here's that conversation. So you've observed this phenomenon where as voters become sort of in many ways more fluid in their affiliations and voting patterns, politicians becoming more partisan, sort of more dug in. uh, And I think that's especially interesting here in Michigan, especially considering, um, you know, in our listening area, we have Macomb County, a place where it's one of the places that helped put Trump in office. Uh, But we hear a lot of stories of people there who voted for Barack Obama twice and then moved over and voted for Trump in 2016. I'm curious, you know, if you could expand a little bit more on why you think that that happened and sort of why are politicians reacting in this more hyperpartisan way? Well, I think they are much more hyperpartisan than the rest of us. I, I fault the media and elected officials who are getting their marching orders from members of the media for the climate of hyperpartisanship. And I don't think that Uh, For the rest of us, things are as divided as they appear to be. And not only is that my impression anecdotally from lots of interaction with voters all across the country, but that's what the political science actually says. Morris Fiorina from the Hoover Institution at Stanford wrote a great book on this subject just two years ago, noting that on the issues, there has not been a significant change in Americans' perspective from the 1970s to the present. There's, there's not a, a leap of the number who are pro-life, anti-death penalty, pro-tax reform, whatever the issue might be. What has gotten more partisan is the way in which we treat these issues in the media and via our political leaders. Now, it seems like we have a disconnect here, though, that, you know, I think when for people, especially on social media, people who are tuned into the debates and just how rancorous they can be. I mean, it does. It, it definitely feels like we're more divided, right? Well, it does, Jake, because we reward those rancorous voices. I mean, you know, it used to be that if you you got to Washington in order to establish leadership credentials, you had to bide your time establish seniority, emerge as a party leader. Now, what do you do? You, you, you're Joe Wilson, and you shout, you lie, at a president of the United States during a speech to a joint session of Congress. Or you're Alan Grayson, and you say, Republicans uh, want you to die. That's their health care plan. Or you're Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and you're particularly adept at Twitter. You become a fundraising magnet. You become a superstar overnight. The, the whole process, it's now baked in to, to reward those who are the lightning rods. And, and I think that debate suffers in the process. So how do we change that? Well, it's going to take an awakening from the 40 or so percent of Americans who say, I'm really not well represented 
uh, by the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I regard myself as more independent, even if there are some of those who are who are lying because they like the panache of what it sounds like being an, an independent. But people need to recognize that we have the numbers to retake this debate and to to stop seeding the conversation to the loudest voices in the room. There are a whole series of, of steps that can be taken, like uh, getting rid of, of gerrymandering and professionalizing the drawing of, of boundary lines and, and reform in terms of our uh, uh, campaign finance laws. Uh, I, I could rattle off a half a dozen things that would be steps in the right direction, but it does not change until the folks who are somewhere between those polar opposites say, you know what, nobody really speaks for me. Now, what do you think Trump's election in 2016 and sort of the political climate as it has shaped since then, what does it say about our political affiliations and attitudes long term? You know, years down the road, do you think that this will be a blip? Do you think that this is going to have long term effects on how we uh, the, the civil discourse in America? Well, I think it's a great question because there's a tendency of many uh, to, to think it, this is only about him, particularly his detractors. Like, you know, when, when he's gone, this too shall pass. And this is not a movement only of his making. He was able to harness the energy of, of those who put him in office. But take a look around the globe, because what's gone on here in the United States is being replicated, or we have replicated what has been going on around the United States. These populist movements are, are everywhere. So I don't think it necessarily ends with Trump, although it's very hard to see whether it's 2020 or 2024, you know, who picks up that mantle. And I'm hard-pressed to identify anybody uh, that I, I think is his likely successor. Mike Pence certainly would not be. But it's bigger than Donald Trump. Whatever it is, it's bigger than Donald Trump. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer talking with Michael Smirkanish, host of the Michael Smirkanish program on the Sirius XM POTUS channel and host of CNN's Smirkanish. He's also a New York Times bestselling author and a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He'll be in town Sunday, February 10th at 2 p.m. at the Crowfoot Ballroom in Pontiac. The talk is called American Life in Columns. Here in Michigan, we just elected a governor who ran very close down the middle. Now, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, when she was Senate minority leader here in Michigan, she's very progressive, I would say. She's one of the more progressive voices in the state of Michigan. But when she ran for governor, she definitely came toward the middle. She was talking about the what she calls those dinner table issues, the the roads, fix the roads. Uh, you know, we need to address uh, things that everyone can agree on, education, sort of, you know, and, and doing it in a way, you know, without a lot of specifics so that she could really sell that message to a wide swath of people. And she won overwhelmingly. Now, obviously, there are probably many factors there. Uh, there was a blue wave, there was a pink wave. But there was definitely a political calculation made, it seemed like, that the way to the way to win a state like Michigan that voted for Trump uh, that had been blue for so long was to really focus in on, again, those uh, those the dinner table issues, as she calls it, running closer down the middle. She had some former Angler Republican administration people endorse her over the Republican candidate. Do you think that that says something more nationally, something bigger about our political environment here? I think that it does. I am a believer that there's a great untapped resource of folks who are willing to be persuaded, are not ideologically driven, 
I think if you landed here from a different planet and you watched television, particularly the cable outlets or, or were tuned into the, the polarized electronic media, you would think that this nation is entirely divided between those who see the wor- world ideologically far left or far right. It's, it's just not my day-to-day experience, whether I'm fielding phone calls, whether I'm interacting as I travel and speak with voters, uh, or as I, I review the political science on the subject. So the politicians should finally realize that there's some running room there is not a surprise. The, the issue is, can you survive the primary process, which right now is designed to reward all that doctrinaire thinking? If you can survive it, you definitely can get elected in a general You've talked a lot in over the years about political correctness. Um, you know, what role do you think that that is now playing in our, our civil discourse? And how does that, you know, relate to what we've been talking about uh, for the last few minutes here? I think it's an explanation as to why President Trump was able to motivate the base that came out for him in 2016. I think in many different respects, it, it has gone too far and there's been blowback against it and not just from conservatives. So I think it's I think it's a part of this conversation. I don't know that it's the lion's share. You know, I think when it comes to political correctness, there are a lot of people out there that would say, well, there's another term for political correctness as it's been used as a buzzword in our political conversation. That's don't be a jerk, right? (laughs) It's like, you know, uh, like think of how you you be respectful. I agree. But, but, you know, Jake, it's it's like Potter Stewart said about pornography. I know it when I see it. It, It's hard (laughs) for me to articulate. It's hard for me to, uh, to define. But I think I know, I think most people know the difference between being a jerk or being being overly uh, cautious and concerned and sensitive. Hmm. That's interesting. And, and I think when you look at something like the president's tweets, is that an overcorrection, do you think? Well, listen, I, I, I'm, I would never defend his behavior, especially his intemperate use of Twitter. Mm-hmm. I, that's beyond uh, political correctness, in my view. That would be part of the behavior that I know it when I see it. But I think that there's a method to his madness. I think that he is throwing a ball of yarn out there every day for the kittens among us, and I fall into this trap myself because it's hard to refuse uh, some of the subject matter that he serves up. And then we in the media start talking about whatever that might be to the exclusion of bigger issues that are out there that warrant our attention. Sure. It's and it's it, I, it's absolutely one of those calculations, right? But it, it, it's... As a journalist, you're sort of trained that if someone in that high office, someone in with that much power, says something like that, how do you ignore it? Uh, ignoring it almost uh, seems well. Uh, the president, for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and that's why you know I don't have a choice. Listen, I, I go to I go to bed on a Friday, having put to bed my Saturday morning CNN program, and then I wake up with my fingers crossed that he's not done something in the overnight or that he won't send out a tweet before I get on the air at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And oftentimes he does exactly that, and it completely upends the program. And if you were to see me at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, you would often see me wrestling with the decision of, do I need to cover that tweet? There's something else I want to talk about that I think is very important, but he is the president of the United States, and he just gave me a window into his thinking. How do I not talk about it? And the the sort of give and take of that decision is a large part of what I do. Absolutely. It's something that it's, it's a constant uh, consideration in, in all newsrooms, it seems like at this point, that we haven't really figured out the answer to that. I don't know if we ever will. True. 
This is Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, and I'm talking with Michael Smirkanish, host of the Michael Smirkanish program on the Sirius XM POTUS channel and host of CNN's Smirkanish. He's a New York Times bestselling author and a columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, you're coming to Detroit February 10th, uh, Pontiac to be specific, here in Metro Detroit uh, at 2 p.m. at the Crowfoot. Uh, you're giving a speech called American Life in Columns. I'm curious what you're most looking forward to in terms of coming to this area and talking to Metro Detroiters and Michiganders about these issues and sort of our political discourse. So I wrote a book that was published a year ago. It's a compendium of, of 100 columns from 1,047 that I wrote in a 15-year time period largely about politics, many about life. And the subtitle of the book, the book is called Clowns to the Left of Me, Jokers to the Right, American Life in Columns. And I started telling stories publicly drawn from the book under the headline of American Life in Columns on very many of the same themes that you and I have been discussing, this, this climate that we find ourselves living in and how can we get out of it. But I illustrate them through anecdotes and tales that I tell in the book. And I've now been all over the country. I, I've, I've been to L.A. and I've been to Boston. I'm coming to Chicago and I was in Cleveland and I've been to Houston and St. Paul, et cetera, et cetera. It's very well received. And I've been eager to come to Michigan because, frankly, I monitor social media. And there's, there have been any number of voices who have said, please come to the Detroit area. So I'm thrilled that it'll happen. It's a matinee. People can come in from the cold on, uh, <laughs> on the Sunday after the Super Bowl. And I hope that they uh, will do so in large numbers because we'll have some fun. We'll talk politics. And we also do a lightning round where people can say whatever they want to say to me or ask me whatever they want to ask about the issues of the day. Uh, on this tour so far, have you noticed uh, any sort of regional differences in sort of how people are receiving this or the things that are on people's mind? Or is it pretty consistent throughout the nation? Well, that's a great question. And it's the latter. It's a consistency and a yearning for something different. They totally buy into my explanation as to how we came to be where we are because of rewarding the loudest media voices, individuals who don't have an objective of good government, but instead they want to attract eyes to websites or ears to radio programs or mouse clicks to, to websites and let the country be damned in the process. And because of the control they have over elected officials worried about getting primaried, it's this vicious cycle. Uh, there is good news, and I share the polling data, and I share the anecdotal information. I talk about the political science, that if we could uh, make people recognize that there's actually strength somewhere in between the polar extremes, we could take control of this. And, and, and one other thing I should say, Jake, is we have a lot of laughs along the way. I do a PowerPoint. It's, it's a fun presentation. People who have come out and seen it across the country have enjoyed themselves. Michael Smirkanich, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. See you soon. If you missed any of today's show, don't forget, you can go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today and listen when you are ready. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. Hope you will, too. This is 1019 WBET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service at Wayne State University. See you later.